if there's any expectation for full protection and safety, you should just keep it in your mattress. Well, right? no, you shouldn't. It, and I, I'm not going to allow <laughs> that to be said on the podcast. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. You got new digs? No, it's the same digs, but you got, you got a new background. Oh, I've had those for weeks, Dougals. You've not uh, had that for weeks. My office is the coolest office around, what can I say? But more importantly... You are in Vegas right now. What are you doing in, in Vegas? Are you doing some high quality investing there, Dougals, over March Madness time? Yeah, doing some research. Doing some research. research for what? You look at these kids, right, playing basketball, college basketball, March Madness. Yeah. They make bad decisions. Like they make really bad decisions. That's true. These kids. It's, you see that guy. Oh, what team was that? He threw the pass. Uh, Virginia. Yeah, the Virginia kid threw the pass right to the other guy for a wide-up three-pointer to lose the game. That was insane. <laughs> they're just these. They're, anyway, so the research I'm doing basically is trying to look at how to make poor decisions and then try and do the opposite. So I'm but watching all these kids. You're doing a Munger inversion thing. Exactly. Exactly. Have you seen Charlie? Is he in Vegas right now? No, he can't. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> can you even imagine? I think we're going to have a, a slightly different kind of episode today we're gonna listen we got some listener mail we're gonna talk about that listener mail and kind of use that to frame an entire discussion because it's about banking right now well hey that was a sly way to try and move away from you being in vegas <laughs> and making important decisions really nice work but before we do that there's a couple things we got to mention so one because Dougals is only performing at 50 percent for this episode don't rate and review this episode wait till the next one be much better two the stuff we broke down last week was really relevant and I think our premium subscribers benefited. So if you don't remember, we do have a premium subscription where you could support the show and usually get the show on Sundays. And I know some people consumed that last Sunday and really felt like it got them in the know with the uh, Silicon Valley Bank situation in a timely fashion. So shout out for premium subscribers. We love you guys. But Dougals, to your point, actually, before we get to listener mail, we don't have to break down the whole bracket, but just tell me who you got winning it all. I saw I have three brackets. So you're One. cheating, first of all. <laughs> long, hedging. long trend momentum. Hedging. hedging. So yeah, I, I'm going to now talk about my bracket that looks the best after the week, <laughs> weekend of carnage. Is that what you're saying? So in one, I've got Alabama. Uh -huh. One, I've got Yukon. Yeah. And, one I've got... <laughs> <laughs> and, one, and one, I've got Gonzaga. Yeah. So I only had one, but in my, since we're making stuff up here, in my imaginary bracket, I got North Carolina. Still looking really strong. I, I think they're going to take it take it home. It would be surprising, but they could they do. <laughs> my real bracket, I did have the Zags. Um, so look, we got the same pick there. I couldn't, I couldn't do the Alabama thing with the whole murder charge, et cetera. But uh, well, we, all have, we all have our values. All right, we're going to jump into listener mail. This is from Jared. He's one of our real estate investing gurus that we lead on on the show. So he talked about 
banks, basically. And I'll paraphrase here. He's saying with Silicon Valley Bank collapsing, why do we always see issues in banks? Um, happened in the 20s, 80s, 2008, and now. And Jared, to be honest, it's happened a bunch more than that. It happened in the late 1800s. It's <laughs> like, this is tale as old as time, as we joked about on an earlier show. Uh, banks ride the, Do banks ri just ride the wave and hope to cover their bad decisions when the tide turns? Why can't banks just be normal? Does the desire for profitability constantly outweigh their safety nets? Or are there calculated bets risk that they actively take knowing the downside? Or what else? The heart of the question is, which banks actually do the right things? Because there's a lot there. It's a lot in there. I will try and break it into maybe three main topics. So the first is maybe why do banks collapse so much? And inherent in that is if there's a fix. And then maybe the third point is which banks actually do the right things. Okay. So first one, why do they collapse so much? Or is the question, is it really, uh, why do broader collapses stem from banks so much? Which of those? I think it's question? both, to be honest. Both. But yeah, yeah. why are other why is the rest of the economy so susceptible to a banking collapse yeah i actually I mean, think that's a pretty easy one to answer go for it well in terms of why other companies are impacted by the banks just think about what's happening with silicon valley bank last week right all these companies that didn't really do anything wrong they should have been smarter with their cash management and maybe uh done more dil due diligence on their bank provider but like they weren't to blame but they felt the consequences of, I can't make payroll. I can't make the investments I thought I was going to make. I can't pay for my product. I can't, it, like my APIs don't work. So it's very, the bank is the central heart of the financial nervous system. And so obviously when a bank goes, there's trouble. Uh, to me, that's a pretty straightforward one answer, yeah. right? Yeah, cash, right? If you don't have access to cash, what are you going to do? It's like if your internet goes down. It's like the the the, the economic Perfect. internet. If your if your internet goes down, go for a walk because there's nothing you can do at work. <laughs> Whiteboards be darned. No, but I, I think I think what you're saying is right. I mean, your cash flow in the end is what matters, and also this is it's what matters in the very very short term. <laughs> it's both the long term and the very short term, the medium yep. term, right? Questionable, but you know when when you depending on the type of business you are, you could be a business where it's imperative that you have working capital at all times, meaning that you need money to, to what you said, uh, pay your vendors, buy the goods you're going to sell, all that kind of stuff to pay your employees. Like you, it's just, it's so central. And you ready? Yeah. What we talked about before as well is about uh, confidence and expectations is the other component of this. And so the, there's legitimately having the cash or not having the cash matters for running the business not having the confidence in having the cash also changes a whole bunch of equations like you've mentioned before around if you if you don't have if a business does not necessarily have confidence in demand let's just say right then are they going to invest in as many capital expenditures are they going to mm -hmm. try the thing that might be innovative or risky and so when you have these moments like this, not only do you not have access to cash, but you start to question like the next 
three to six months of your business. You start to say, that's not long-term, right? But you're still like, oh, maybe that investment we weren't going to, that we were thinking about making, maybe we shouldn't make that quite yet. Let's wait and see what happens. And you, it like, it hits, uh, it has like a ripple effect. I think potentially it has a ripple effect on the rest of the economy then, because if people aren't investing, it's like this whole, uh, I don't know, death cycle. <laughs> I was trying to think of a not word that was death, but, but you know what I'm saying? I think that's what's central. Like you both hit the legitimate, like tangible, uh, short-term cash flow issues and confidence and expectations, which is how the economy goes around. Yeah. So then on the question of do banks just ride the wave and hope that they can cover their losses or cover their bad decisions with the tide's turn? I don't think it's quite that simple, but banks are run by people and banks take advantage of every opportunity to make money that you can. The one thing in, I worked in banking for a decade, right? The one thing that I think is pretty easy to say about folks that work in banking is they like money. And like, that sounds wrong, but they're like, they're naturally financial, financially motivated and they're financial intellectuals. It's their they, whole business. They are yeah, in the business of money. Yeah. Right. So it's not your artists or your, I don't know, pick a random career that's not entirely focused on money. Banking is. And and so what that means is there's true decisions to be made um, for people's bonuses. And that typically happens at least every 24 months. But also, it's just like any other business that hu human nature gets involved. And what happens is people are always striving for that next goal. So when the market gets hot, whether this is mortgages in 2008 or kind of leverage now, people have a hard time pulling back and saying, you know what? Our bank book is exactly where it needs to be. And <laughs> we, we aren't going to grow by 20% this year. We're just going to sit on our hands and watch our competitors take market share from us. I mean, that's the other thing that I think gets lost in the shuffle is if you don't grow, your competitor is going to grow. If you don't take the risk, your competitor is going to take the risk. And at least until things blow up, all you're going to hear about from your shareholders, your board, and others is why is competitor XYZ doing these incredible things lending to tech startups and we are not? So, also, oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I also wonder if there's just some sense of, I don't want to say hubris exactly. But kind of maybe it's even there's a non-belief that your bank will fail. Like if you've been around for decades, it might yeah. just be. And I don't, I don't mean this in the sense of someone will bail me out. I don't mean that. I mean more in the sense of it'll be good. Like it, it has been, right? Or we have the unlikely scenario that you're going to have a run on the banks at the same time when a uh, like crypto bank also going under at the same time went right like it, it just seems like it's not likely and so therefore maybe not even all that considered really considered to a certain extent now we can get to the first republic stock sales right and determine if or yeah right it, you know um what the thought might be there but but i think that's something else that goes in my mind it's kind of like is there, there's an overconfidence as well well of course there is but this is where i i would say it's not banking or banker's fault really um and faults probably the wrong word to use but it's the banks looked good from we're always looking in the rear view at the last crisis so <laughs> what happened in 2008 didn't happen yes. in 2023 
And what happens in 2023 won't happen in 2032 or yep, 2027 yep, yep. or when. It, so we always humans are so good at looking in the rearview mirror and thinking about the last, the last thing. And what happened here is a brand new thing. That's another risk factor that our government regulators didn't really have their eye on. And Silicon Valley Bank had a very unique profile. That's the easiest one to talk about. I know there's Signature Bank and I know there's other ones that are concerned. But here's what happened the last time we had a major bank failure in 2008, Douglas. Uh, Washington Mutual had $16 billion withdrawn over 10 days. And I guarantee a lot of that happened like in the old school drive through or actually go to the branch. I mean, the world was different 15 years do, back. Do you remember those little uh, like futuristic canisters that used to suck your money up into the ceiling? What have you used to? Like it's, it's, most banks still have those things. Oh, I haven't been to a bank. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't go to banks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> For Silicon Valley Bank, there were $48 billion withdrawn in something like uh, 36 hours. Most people were taking out cash from their smartphones. Uh, and most of this has the concern happened in social media, you know, like the Twitter town square, like it's a digital town square, an entirely different thing that I don't think our reg regulators had really thought about yet. I'm not throwing shade at anyone. I'm not throwing shade at regulators, but like, this is just a different crisis. And the bankers at Silicon Valley bank were growing with a narrowly concentrated industry because they were embedded in that industry better than anyone else. They were the bank for Silicon Valley. So of course they ended up highly concentrated, but you know what they did for the past 15 years? They like grew like crazy and cash checks. It, <laughs> humans do that. It, it seems by all metrics that they were doing the right thing. And they were also checking all the boxes that our regulators have put in place to say, this is good. What we seem to do here is privatize the losses, but allow the corporations to keep the gains, right? Yes. So that yep. for the last 15 years, I, I can guarantee you the bonuses at Silicon Valley Bank were pretty dang awesome. And then when they went under, now, if there's losses here, and we can talk about why there probably won't be steep losses, because they actually have some quality assets that just the maturity issue was a problem. And uh, I don't expect the Fed to lose much money at all. Like for the TARP rescue plan in 2008, if you look back three years later, they actually made money. Um, it's very possible that something like that could happen here. But the people who are not taking the losses are Silicon Valley Bank. If there are losses to be had, the government will take those. It's yeah. Interesting. And I, I agree with everything you just said. And one of the things I, I thought was I don't know, worth watching this week was, so on, I think it was Monday, it could have been Tuesday, Silicon Valley Bank got a new CEO. That was the old CEO of Fannie Mae that, that jumped in and basically was just on Twitter begging. I don't know if it was on Twitter, but that's where I saw the things on Twitter, begging for people to bring their deposits back. Uh, and not not begging in like a groveling kind of way, just like a look, I promise we're here, like we're here to stay. Come on, put your money back in. And going back to the the point around like confidence, it's like one of those things where I don't know. I'm I'm thinking if I if I think about what that CEO is asking for, 
And I think about people talking about Silicon Valley Bank, people also talking about First Republic Bank and how much they enjoyed the experience of working with the bank. Yeah. But when it came to put your money where your mouth is, silence. Uh, okay, well, listen. So Silicon Valley Bank started advertising that they were the safest place to hold deposits in the world, effectively, because they have 100% of their deposits backed by the Federal Reserve and effectively the FDIC. That's a very slippery slope, and I don't want to derail this conversation with that. But that doesn't sit well in my mouth, Dougals, how you could basically act in a way that put your customers' deposits at risk and then because of government backing, go out and sell that as a unique product that no one else can offer. That sits poorly with me. <laughs> Got to get creative. Well, I, so, but to your point, of course, the new CEO is going out and saying, bring your deposits back. If he doesn't have those deposits, he's in trouble. Yeah, like, which they are. Banks need deposits. They've now, they've now declared bankruptcy. Yeah, true. So, yeah, it was in trouble. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just it's like real. I I think like watching folks as I mentioned, First Republic is. Let's talk about First Republic because that is the bank even more so that when I have talked to, I'm not a customer of First Republic Bank. When I've talked to people that are though, they really love that bank. Yeah. When you think about a bank, right? You think about the futuristic sucky thing that goes in the ceiling. First of all, <laughs> and then you think about it, it's kind of like I don't know. It's just a stodgy place that you probably have mixed emotions about, right? You have to keep your money there because you do. But people of First Republic were like sad. I well, why are they sad? That First Republic's still around. Like <laughs> I know, but it's it's like the the prospect of them potentially not being able to use the the bank was saddening for them. Which for a bank, like that's that's a that's a hard threshold to get over. Yeah. I was I was like, that's that's pretty that's solid loyalty. Right, like right there that you've been able to to bring up. So hopefully they can stick it through because it seems like and it's in that like a hundred percent of the people that I've talked to, which is still a small end, but hundred percent of the people that I've talked to that have first republic accounts were like really want to hold on to that account. So more power to them for that one. I hope they can stick it out. It's good insider information. So I'm going back to this uh, the second question, and I, I think we've covered the desire for profit consistently outweighing the safety nets. Um, if there are calculated bets to take to actively mitigate downside. I mean, on that front, what Silicon Valley Bank clearly should have done is hedge their interest rate risk in addition to some other things. But they had a blind spot there. The saddest part about that, Dougals, is I think I've read they were basically grasping for 40 basis points of additional return <laughs> and that gambling <laughs> cost them the whole company it just shows show short-sighted i read an interview with the ceo of interactive brokers which is a, a brokerage for like institutional clients typically and they talked about the maturity of their bond holdings because they basically pay interest on idle cash and one of the analysts said, well, listen, your maturity on your bond holdings is only 42 days. Shouldn't you be grasping for more yield? This happened two two weeks back. So it was before the Silicon Valley Bank. And his answer was just so reasonable. And it's like almost the Buffett answer is just 
No, if I do anything more than that, I'm putting my customers' funds at risk for redemptions, and you don't know when those redemptions are going to happen. And that puts the entire enterprise at risk. So there are people out there, Jared, to your point, that do this right. But if you do that one component of risk management right, that doesn't mean that your financial institution is on solid footing everywhere. Like uh, To get to his third question about which banks actually do things right, it's tough to say. I can give you some opinions. But because of what we talked about before with the next crisis is always one that is almost a black swan. It's something that is not at the forefront of our minds. I don't know that I can tell you that any bank right now is 100% bulletproof. No, of course not. But many of them have, or not many, is aggressive. There are, there are a few banks that when you look at the uh, amount of risk that they've put into the bank or like potential for failure is a lot lower. Right. So whether Absolutely. that means they're whether that means they're doing the right thing or not, I think it's hard to it's hard to use that phrase exactly. But have they shored up their business, right? In a way that uh is more likely that it has longevity? Yes. And you this is it, this is a tough chart to talk through. So I'm just gonna give like a couple points to it. But you sent over this chart from the economist that looks at on one side percent of uninsured deposits, and the other side, percent of total assets that are held to maturity. And if you just take a kind of an abstracted view of this, the percent of uninsured deposits, you can kind of read as saying, this is the risk of not recouping funds as a depositor, let's just call that. And then the held to maturity is the risk of those funds not being available to you from the institution. And so if you're in the upper right of this, you're basically saying that depositors' money is at risk and our, our like bank losses are also potentially at risk. So and so it's it's really interesting looking at the the size of the circles on this is the the size of the bank. And you start to see like more concentration of the large banks kind of in the middle of the uninsured deposits. Let's call it like half of your deposits are uninsured, and you have pretty short-term maturity securities. And I'd say like that sounds reasonable, right? Generally speaking. Yeah. And so doing the right thing, who knows? They're probably still, as to your point, like they're in banking, their business is still money, they're still trying to profit. Um, but taking at least a, a more secure long-term view. So there, there's some folks, there's some folks doing the thing out there. I mean, so like a, a JP Morgan Chase, a Citigroup, uh, Bank of America are effectively, it goes back to the too big to fail thing. So not only do their ratios in terms of coverage of their liabilities look better than average and better than certainly a Silicon Valley bank or a First Republic, but they also the U.S. economy dies if J.P. Morgan Bank goes under, and Janet Yellen will tell you that. <laughs> it's it's pretty crystal clear. So that would be maybe an ideal place to start. But Jared, I think the most important thing to have in the back of your mind, and I don't want to elicit panic here because then I'd be on the All In podcast. You get that joke, Eagles? <laughs> he didn't even laugh. Yeah. <laughs> no bank right now can cover 100%. Like if 100% of their money is withdrawn tomorrow, no bank can cover it. It doesn't matter who you are. That's not how the business model works. It's a business of confidence. And so with that being said, you can look to the JP Morgan Chase of the world. Now, what I like to do, and, and Diggles tell me if I get into too much of a rabbit hole, is I like to build my own bank. And let's pretend you're 
sitting on $10 million of deposits. There's no bank out there that can guarantee that. So you have to get creative. If you um, decide that FDIC insurance is really important to you, and in a lot of cases, I'd argue that that's a must have. There are ways with broker CDs or some new fintechs that spread that deposit risk out um, across multiple banks. So like Wealthfront is something I've talked about on the show before for investing, uh, basically for indexing that partners with like 20 banks and they will cover up to $2 million worth of deposits. Some banks in the startup space like Mercury uh, will do it for $3 million of deposits. And then if you have a brokerage account, there's ways to even spread that risk out. Uh, you can do government repurchase agreements or other um, money market funds that are you know, betting on the US government being able to pay their bills 20 days out, which is very comparable to FDIC insurance, in my opinion. It's not formal FDIC insurance. Make sure you know what you're doing before you buy those things. None of this is investment advice, but there are ways to defer your risk if you get to the point where you can never trust your bank. Speaking of risk, so there's this Wall Street Journal article this week called Savers Pile Money into Bank CDs as Rates Top 5%. So you can, you can kind of get the gist of, of what this article is about, um, how now you have CDs right that you can get into uh, other types of savings accounts that are high yield, right? You will be of options. That's what that's what it's about. The reason I brought this up around risk because there was one part of this that in particular grabbed my attention. There was someone named Kimberly Page Valor, right? That was talked about in this article, and Miss Page Valor had Kimberly. We're probably on a first name basis now. Kimberly uh, had her money in savings account. I'm say I'm gonna call it a big bank savings account for a while, right? Uh, and decided it's time to try one of these like newfangled CD things, right? She hadn't heard of them before, saw it on the social medias, saw the the advertisements and whatnot. I gotta jump in there. Are do you think the majority of Americans think CDs are this newfangled? I, I think I had a CD when I was six years old. Dougals, is this not commonplace? In the, the world? This is not com- This is not commonplace. Okay, good. <laughs> so all right. people be buying their CDs and nobody beats the Wiz. Yeah, but, all right. You see what I'm saying? So, but what the thing that caught my attention? So d- she decided to try this. She put ten thousand dollars into a thirteen month CD, getting four and a half percent. We have to talk about that, but anyway. Um, yeah. So decided to do this, and the quote that she said because she's trying this new thing. Right to her, new thing. The quote is, I've never done this type of thing before. If I lost any money, I would beat myself up for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's extreme. I mean, but it, it just it, when you talk about risk, right? If that's the if if I'm not saying that that Kimberly is representative of whatever percent of the population. I don't know. But when I read that, I went, Whoa. If if, if there's any expectation for full protection and safety anywhere you should just keep it in your mattress well right? no you shouldn't it, and I, i'm not going to allow <laughs> that to be said on the podcast <laughs> it's the worst possible thing you could ever do it's a bad idea but isn't it amazing that we live in this schizophrenic society where 12 months ago, you have people buying crypto hand over fist that is literally like, it's like some dude in his basement being like, I made this thing. 
there's no backing there's no, it's it's zeros and ones like but it's cool look at this logo it has a dog on it and people are all about it and now you have kimberly on the other side of the spectrum and i talked to other people this week that were very concerned i mean we we just had a bank fail a big bank fail it's a concerning time but you have these people being like i i would what'd you say beat myself up for the rest of my life if i lost a penny yeah. effectively I would hope that when I have beers with Kimberly, she wasn't a crypto investor because those mindsets are just so polar opposite. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> to your point. It is when you when you look at the juxtaposition between the crypto bros and crypto gals, right? Yeah. Hip hop rappers, quote unquote, hip hop rappers stealing crypto, right? It's like on one side of the of the of the full chain here and the other side is kimberly thinking about cds it is our economy is pretty diverse here but you think about that mentality and going back to what we talked about around having like confidence right and what your expectations are think about how that is that's a scary moment right for her and like what kind of confidence is she having in the system right now so it's important it's important this is great questions jared it's like it's such a, it's to the heart of like how our financial system works right psychologically it's really good stuff. Have we have we beat up banks enough? Have we covered all <laughs> angles? I think the banks are beaten. <laughs> they feel beaten. With that, then I want to hop into my fishbowl. And you know how I like to dump around in the dumpster and look for oh, deals. You love it. Do you have any fun with that this week, Douglas? I had a little bit of fun. A little bit of yeah. fun. Yeah. So uh what I want to do here is just talk about what you're looking at. Again, none of this is investment advice, but I think it's natural for people like me and you to glance at the carnage and see if there's any juicy deals out there. I have not pulled the trigger on anything meaningful. Um, I have my eye on a few things. Um, how about you? Uh, I I was looking at some of the regional banks. Have pulled the trigger. Won't say on what yet because I don't want to. I don't even want to give a hint to people making any sort of decisions there but uh regional banks and then there were there were a couple of like brokerages they got hit this week for because yeah. people were just looking for anything to sell it seemed like that was even remotely in the space uh so that so i thought that was interesting too i know there there's a, like another field that you were looking at but those were the two areas for me regional banks and there were a couple like brokerages um they got hit there it's what was most fascinating for me when I was looking at this stuff is like the, to your point around the speed, right? You were comparing how in 2008, it, like what might've taken 10 days there took 36 hours. Yeah. Now, right. The speed at which these stocks fell was mind blowing. I mean, he go, I, we've seen stocks fall like this before, but, but it was, what was the speed for me? Uh, it, this wasn't like, it's just not as surprising to me if like Bitcoin fell 70%. It's like there wasn't anything there to begin with. Here you have institutions that are very known, have been around for decades, have tons of assets. Like are, like it, it, the speed going from, it was like something in three days, there were organizations that had fallen somewhere in the 30 to 50% range. And then over like five days, like 70%, they were falling. It was insane to me. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I love your idea of not dropping names here. That's probably responsible. I don't want to uh, send anyone to pain. You you brought up Bitcoin 
Bitcoin is fascinating because the pitch has always been, oh, well, this is the global financial system is in trouble. Come to Bitcoin, it will save you. As banks are failing, Bitcoin's fallen off a cliff. And then once banks got rescued, Bitcoin has rallied. I think it's at like 27,000. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just not, it, I, I can't figure that one out. Yeah, I've been looking at regional banks too. And I want to give a high level, I want to drill into your thought process. But like, here's kind of how I've been looking at them. Uh, when they get at or below tangible book value, you start to go, hmm, that's kind of interesting. First, you want to make sure the bank's not going to fail. And to Jared's question, that's a that's a hard question to answer, right? Yep. And we don't know what panic is going to happen in the next week or two. But man, there are... Let me put it this way. If you look at regional banking and you look at insider sales, which aren't reported appropriately, and I hope uh, Congress fixes that soon because they're not. it's not nearly as transparent when insiders in banking are selling as it is in insiders in tech or anything else. And there are people in First Republic and I believe in Silicon Valley Bank, but that's from memory doogles, that were unloading shares in the past month and it wasn't clear that they were doing that. So let's get that fixed first and foremost. But there is one regional bank that has a lot of insider purchase activity right now, and none of the other ones do. <laughs> that has piqued my interest for sure. Yeah. It, so you're talking about my thought process. To your yeah. point around, is the bank going to fail? It's like it's so hard to, to know that. But looking outside in at financials, which are dated at this point, too, mm -hmm trying to see what the um, combination of a couple of things we talked about, where do they sit from like an uninsured deposit standpoint, according to data we could find, or I could find, where do they sit with regard to uh, average maturity like right now? So therefore what's the size of the, the bond loss hit that's likely sitting yes. in their books. Um, that was one thing uh, looking at, and then normal stuff, debt level, Right. Um, what is what is what is liquidity like potentially kind of look like? So look, looking at some of those basic things um, and what I wasn't looking at was dividend yield. I, I <laughs> tell the tell the people why, Eagles. Because <laughs> if you OK, if you're at a point where there's like liquidity is a big question mark, like the 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 expectations around and confidence around that is a big question mark. Do not pay me a dividend right now is, is effectively think, what it was. I think the dividends in regional banking are going to be short-lived. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, so I was not looking at dividend yield. Yeah, but but looking at that and uh, and then on the, when I was looking around, I mentioned brokers, but if you just look around like the rest of the financial sector, it was kind of like, I don't know how else to put this, but the, the thought process I was going around there was what is being hit hard or whatever you want to call hard being hit like unreasonably hard, like what seems like it's just uh, collateral damage, right? And really doesn't um, have as much to do like with the hit here. And then I was looking at because because we look at different things sometimes I was also just looking at like historic price movement and like. Sure. You know, where are you? are you at your 1970 prices? Didn't find anything there, just to be clear. But where, what does your price movement look like over the last five, 10 years, basically? And where where's the market kind of valuing you relative to that right now? So I was looking at some of that too. And it's it's interesting. The thing that I 
there, none of the stocks are stocks that I want to hold for a while. I was really trying to get my portfolio to a place where the only things I was holding were like long-term holds and stuff like this just throws me for a loop. Yeah. So that's why a couple things there. That's why I really haven't pulled the trigger and I'm not sure if I will, because there's like this novelty, right? It's just like, oh, this is dirt cheap. I have to look at it. That's how my brain works. But at the end of the day, when I go and like, is this core to my strategy or my long-term approach? The answer is almost always no, but you and I are, are really into this stuff. So we're different than your average cats that way. I remember to your point about like that overreaction piece, I remember when um, Amazon bought Whole Foods, all grocery store stocks went down like 25% that day. And that day I bought some Kroger. It was the same. It was like, I, you just look at the historical performance and everything else. And very quickly that stock rebounded to its historical levels and I got out and it was fine. But it's like the same thing. It's like, these have been very predictable yeah. A lot of these companies have been around for a hundred years and it's hard for me not to look. So if you were going to guess outside of banking, even the biggest pile of garbage that I'm seeing at the moment, you got any ideas for me, Diggles? I mean, it's going to be real estate. <laughs> I'm looking at some office real estate. <laughs> mm, juicy. <laughs> it's just these REITs are terrible, but some of these are trading at price to book between 0.3 and 0.6 Dougals. We we talked um we've talked about SL Green a couple times on the show which is uh, Manhattan and San Francisco and their occupancies down, they have tons of debt. Like there are a thousand reasons why you don't like the stock and that's actually one that I don't particularly like right now. But look at the price change <laughs> on that thing. All these REITs in office space got killed this week like absolutely killed and that's coming off they were already down 40 to 50 percent for the year so you're talking about owning office space in most cases with rental terms between eight to ten years uh in most cases that have already like they're currently under lease now people are trying to get out of those leases and occupancy rates are down significantly nationwide and especially in places like san francisco la austin new york but i'm gonna have to do a deep dive on some of this stuff because to say that you own real estate and it might be at 30 percent of its book value sure the underlying property is worth less than it was 24 months ago because of the rising rate environment and other things but is it worth thirty percent of what it used to be less ago? It just can't be. So I, I have to dive in there. I think it's a place worth looking at, and these are likely going to be as when we talked about with SL Green. Don't you know? Not SL Green in particular, but when we did talk about that one, we said it's probably going to be a long term hold. You might see some spikes yeah. in like volatility in the near term, but if you're really looking for it to come back to like revert to the mean, we likely have years. Yep. Well, and the thing I hate about REITs. Um, is kind of the thing that I don't like about banks. It's typically uh, a portion of their model is leverage. So there's way more debt than I would ever get comfortable in a normal investment. And I think that what that really means is it's just not core to my um, philosophy. And I, I have to look away from the car crash as I drive by, which is really hard for humans to do. But man, I, I'm tempted. 
Oh man, this is the this is the glory of the of the of the mayhem. The glory of the mayhem is being able to look at some of these things, and even if even if there aren't triggers that are pulled, it's it's just like fascinating intellectually, like fascinating to look at the mix of psychology and financials and where everything is. Like so, it's, it's you know, as we are investing nerds, just reading about the stuff is interesting by itself too. But I think that if you look at the mix of macro environment, uh, macro environmental factors that we have right now. And this has been true for the last year, but especially right now, our good friend Jay Powell, what is even, is this, is it a coin flip? Like, does he even think about it anymore? Does he just spin a wheel and say, and say like, like, no matter what I In do. In terms of if they raise rates or not? Yeah. So I think that's the most fascinating thing. Let's switch gears and talk about that a little bit. So at the highest level, uh, inflation is still... Six percent. Yep. All right. It's still stubborn. Unemployment is low. It would they haven't slayed the dragon of inflation yet. Basically, what he said since the start, after he got over his transitory nonsense, was we inflation is the number one priority and we'll fix it. So he should continue to raise rates. But then raising rates with some poor executive risk management at Silicon Valley Bank yes. and other places. A lot of places are holding uh, long-term maturity bonds that they should not have purchased. Most of those places have hedged interest rate risk and every risk department in banking is working on that right now. It, and I say right now, I don't listen. I don't care if you listen to this podcast at 3 a.m. Like that is around right the clock <laughs> risk management is happening right now. So not necessarily his fault because again we talked about how he telegraphed this he said he, he said we're raising rates we're raising rates we're raising rates that being said the risk that is presented in the banking system if he continues to raise rates and consumer confidence in banking doesn't rebound is like gosh i didn't really think there was anything more catastrophic than inflation yeah. that might be it yeah, I think that this next meeting is the next announcement, right? Which is next week is less about the rates itself and more about is the Fed legitimate when they're saying they will drive the economy into whatever they need to drive it into in order to get rid of inflation. I think that that's, that's like the question. And because another... I think 0.5% increase is probably off the table at this point. Yeah. And so if you're looking at, is it point? And I would also say cutting rates is off the table at this point. So are you really oh, looking better at, be, I'm moving to Canada <laughs> to cut rates. <laughs> so is it a 0.25% increase or are we just holding steady right now? I think is the, is the real question. And again, I think it's less about the rate change itself and what impact that has. And if the fed raises rates right now, I think they are saying, we are continuing down the path of inflation is the thing that we care about and banks and economy be darned. Can I make you take a position on what they should do On what they should do? Yeah. I'd pause. Oh, I'd raise, I'd pause. I would pause with very strong statements of it's, I don't know what the right language here is exactly, but it's not that we are, no longer raising rates like we are still in a rate raising environment 
And like right now, we need to get additional data to make sure that we are making the right decisions. And we only have a month. Like just pause it for a month. As logical as that is, I think it's incredibly important to slay the dragon. And I think as soon as you pause, people think that's forever. I hear that. I hear that. And and then, I mean, still, if you look at like the two-year and the 10-year, people are expecting rates to come down and come down fairly quickly. So this is a world, well, this U.S. economy always expects the Fed to ride in on their fancy horse, save the failing bank, save the businesses that are hurting. It, like they just think we're still in a place of ultra low rates, which is how inflation got out of control. And inflation is we, with Jared's question, we talked about how important banks are as the lifeblood to the financial system. I mean, in, inflation is truly like the dragon that comes in and just destroys people's houses over and over and over again. It, but it's less visible. It's less scary because it kind of steals your wealth over time and it's not really in front of you it's like those edward jones fees on your investing account so question <laughs> sorry i missed that for a second that was good question for you am i right to assume that when you're saying they should raise rates to slay the dragon it's not about the 0.25 percent it's about the continue like continuing to make sure that the expectation of the country is that we are going to slay inflation uh, it's both those things. I think I um, the research that Stanley Drunkenmiller's team did where they said anytime inflation has gone over 8% historically in any major market in the past like 150 years, the only way it's ultimately gotten under control is when CPI comes below the Fed funds rate. And CPI is at six and the Fed funds rate, Douglas, what is it now? Five-ish, yeah. four and a half. I mean, I think, like I think you basically... What he said he was going to do and what history shows that we have to do is you got to get that to 5.5 and CPI has to come down to 5.2 and then you can take a deep breath. But until you get there, I think you pause now to take care of the banking crisis. Everyone takes a deep breath and then three months from now, inflation's at 9% again and we're completely screwed. Yeah, I think it's probably there's probably the question around if you pause now, can they start raising again in a month? I'm sure they can. I mean, you absolutely can. You you obviously can, but sorry, will they? Like, will they? Yeah. If if you pause now, is that is that a pause? Like, is is it a longer term pause? Yeah. It. This is psychologically. It's this is a really tough one. Is, I mean, because this is this meeting is taking place ten days after <laughs> the uh, SVP, you know, takeover or SVB takeover. Uh, that's a tough job. That is well, a tough here's the job. thing that I don't know we articulated clearly is the other thing that happens when he raises rates is that feeds the fear in banking because it takes basically all of banks held to maturity assets and makes them worth less. That's what I'm saying. If there's a run on the bank, the banks are more likely to fail. Now, Again, no banks are going to fail. If they do, we have the strongest government in the world providing backing for that. Like, I'm not causing panic here. There's no reason to be panicked about your bank, but there's no good options. No, there, there aren't. And it is, 
it's the statement that is going to be made is a statement on is it is it about slaying the dragon and collateral damage be darned what i will what i will say so i, I gave you my my stance on what i do what i won't say though is if he i think it's it's there's strength shown in both directions the um, the commentary that he makes around this one, either way, is going to be really important. Every word, <laughs> every word is important. Every word. What's the strength shown in not raising race? He's going. I just, I just completely backtracked on our FDIC insurance, which is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. We came into two banks and said we're taking over and we're insuring all deposits. So that's a huge, like, I'm not sure if that's a sign of strength. They just did the systematic risk line. And then he abandons his stated goal for taming inflation. I don't, strength is not the word that comes to mind if he doesn't raise rates. Well, I, I think the, the difference between what we're saying here is, I'm, I'm going to pick on one word you use, is abandoned. Yeah. Like, they have another meeting in a month. I, I don't think that I don't think not raising rates and I know is abandonment. But Dougals, that if the if they wait a month to raise rates, the exact same thing happens to the banking system a month from now. It doesn't really like it's not like there's less risk to the banking system. There is a month from now, a slightly less because some of those held to maturity. Well, if you bonds, you have. You have the country right now that is sitting and watching him do this. And to what you were saying earlier, raising rates says you're cool with banks failing. I don't want to say cool with banks failing, but capitalism involves businesses succeeding and businesses failing. Yeah. And when inflation goes to almost 10%, that's because businesses haven't failed enough recently. I'm I wasn't saying that as a like strong negative. I'm just saying that's what he's saying. Like yeah. you're you're okay with the collateral damage, right? And yep. right now that's a that's a big when when the country is afraid of banks failing, <laughs> saying that is a is a big statement, which might be the right statement. Right? Like what you're saying, it might be the right statement. You you just told me the future. What's gonna happen is the politicians are gonna lose their mind on whatever happens. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. There we go. On both sides, it's gonna yeah, be exactly. The, exactly. You're putting people out of work and sending people into poverty, or you're uh, <laughs> rescuing the wealthy bankers in uh, yeah, or whatever it might be. So, all right. Anything else in your fishbowl? No, that's it. Okay, guys, appreciate uh, you hanging out with us for the listener mail focused episode. We love listener mail. Send us to skippydoogles at gmail.com. Premium subscriptions at supercast.skippydoogles.supercast.com. Skippy and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.